0: Once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C Squared. Now on our podcast, we interview musicians and other industry professionals to give you an inside look on how to take your music to the next level. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the C Squared podcast with Corey and Curtis, hosted by Ghost Cult Magazine. We are here today with Mr. or, well, Dr. Todd Severin from Ripple Music. And he is here to talk to us about all sorts of things that come with running a label, booking, social media. He is a wealth of knowledge, been doing this for a while. So he's here to drop some knowledge bombs on y'all. And first, I just want to say thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm not sure the quality of the knowledge bombs. Uh,
0: <laughs> hey, you know what? Any knowledge bombs are good knowledge bombs because let's face it, I'm kind of in you know questionable when it comes to my knowledge bombs. Maybe <laughs>
1: <laughs> can we just can we reframe it to maybe like knowledge firecrackers?
0: Knowledge firecrackers or those little? Do you remember those little popper things that you throw around? Totally. Knowledge
1: poppers. That's it.
0: Yeah, knowledge poppers. poppers. There we go instead of bombs.
2: Love it. I love it. <laughs>
0: Uh, so, for people who may not know who you are or or what you do, would you mind just giving like a brief nutshell version of everything that you've been working on and and all the things that you're involved in? Uh,
1: I, by that, I suspect you're me referring just to the music industry, right?
0: <laughs> well, yes. I mean, if you want to go into the other stuff, sure, why not? But yeah, the music industry is probably the best place to start.
1: <laughs> okay, so like my bowling championships, we can just leave out of this, right? Which I'm. Oh no, I want to like hear about bowling. this. <laughs> Um, I'm a you know, CEO and, and founder of Ripple Music record label, which is uh, you know, one of the uh, underground record labels in heavy psych, doom, stoner, a little bit of metal music. We've been doing that for about 12 years now. Also editor-in-chief and founder of the Ripple Effect blog, which has been running now for crap 14, almost 15 years. Um, and uh, we also have you know, publishing, which is Ripple Songs. And I started something called Heavy Ripples Distribution which was a way to kind of help bands who are not part of the ripple music family to get their music distributed. And that's something I've been running for about eight years, which is a nonprofit way of just getting the music out for, for bands and for other labels who need
2: some help.
0: Mm-hmm. And Curtis, so, you have your follow-up face on
2: I have my follow-up face on, but I, I was, I thought you were going to do one. So basically Todd, can you also kind of go into how, like, how did it kind of like transition from the blog over to a label? Can you go okay. into that in more depth? Sure.
1: So just a, a tiny bit of, of backstory. Um, always been a music junkie. Can't mm-hmm. play a lick. My my mm-hmm. best assets would definitely be not holding an instrument if there's anybody who would ever want to be in that room. So
2: uh, <laughs> I've always been, I'm same. Uh,
1: I'm the I've same. Been, yeah, it's, I love it. I, I own them. <laughs>
2: A, I excel in here.
1: car
0: singing and air drumming.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. I, I, nobody has ever played a tennis racket nearly as well as I do. Oh, that's that's, awesome. that's
0: it's a hard instrument. I mean, there's so many strings.
1: <laughs> I can play two lead parts at the same time. It's pretty phenomenal. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I've always been a little bit more of a appreciator and a behind the scenes kind of guy. Uh, was a radio disc jockey for five years back in Los Angeles and. So I just came into this with a, a big love of music and a, a sickeningly large record and CD collection. And by that, I mean, like, buy a new house, it's time sort of large. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and so my, my buddy is a guy named Pope and he used to be lead singer in a band called Blind Justice down in San Diego. They're kind of a crash, crossover punk metal thrash band back in the days when crossover was starting to become a big thing. <coughs> and they had a little bit of success in their area. And we decided we were gonna start uh, a zine. We wanted to do a good old fashioned printed zine, which was gonna be called The Ripple Effect. And the entire idea is that he has a huge collection of music as did I. We were gonna write about the stuff that's in our collections that perhaps people missed. The whole idea was to make ripples about stuff that had been forgotten. Didn't get the proper PR push because Lord knows PR is the most important thing to
2: get people to hear music. And has read I'm sorry? And there's red flags with them, yeah. (laughs) Only a few, (laughs) yes. Um, But
1: if but if a band doesn't get the proper PR, it just it has a greater possibility that it's going to sink without a trace. And so, you know, I have I'm a I'm a dumpster diver when it comes to music. You know, I'll pull anything out and play it, and you discover a lot of great music that way. So, hence the ripple effect was born. And um, you know, we started writing the reviews, but we just never really got around to printing the zine. And then one day, I just said, "You know, forget the Zine thing. I want this to be done." And I started the blog on on Blogspot or, or Blogger at the time. Uh, I was actually at a writing conference. I was, I was working on a novel at the time, and so I I was just at this writing conference. I had some downtime. Started the blog. Posted my first review. No goals in mind other than just to maybe someday, possibly get a free promo from a record company. That was like my ultimate goal. Like if I got a free promo, it's like, oh God. Oh God, this was so worth it. And I was a total neophyte. I had, not, I had not read a music blog. I knew nothing about the music blogging world. I didn't know what music blogs were out there. I just wanted to do it. So I did it. Um, and that was uh, 2007. And I um, kind of was just going alphabetically through my record collection. So the first one I posted was a band called APB, which was this three piece punk funk band from Scotland. -hmm. And that went out there. And then within just a short period of time, the the ripple effect started to gather a little bit of steam. And uh, within a short period of time, we also added something called Ripple Radio to it, which was hosted on Blog Talk Radio. And Pope and I did that together for about three years before time constraints kind of set that aside. But during that time, we had a ball and we had guests like, Marky Ramone came on the show and we had Fee Wable from The Tubes and we had Cy Kernan from The Fix. Just It wasn't genre specific, it was just music. Mm-hmm. And um, as this was going, one of my first reviews was for the band called J.P.T. Scare Band. Now, I was really transitioning into appreciation for the whole proto metal scene, you know, from 1970 to 1973, maybe a little bit of 69. Um, as the music that really was the focus of what i was digging on you know because I'm, I'm i'm kind of an older guy i'm really into the 70s rock scene
2: mm-hmm.
1: my musical past is slightly strange because when you're talking to people in our genres i missed a lot of the stuff that they all dug on for example you know i, I came out through the 70s i was really into the new wave of british heavy metal <laughs> Then then when I became a disc jockey in Los Angeles in 1981, it was all about the LA punk scene and goth and new wave and techno and yada yada. Um, But then when things like thrash came out, which then kind of eventually grunge came out afterwards, I missed those completely because I was in medical school and there was just no time to listen to any music at all. Um, So I actually never even heard Metallica until the Black Album. Huh. Um, to to this day i probably i can't say i've ever even heard uh, an exodus album or testament i just kind of missed those scenes because i was otherwise detained and i really haven't had the time to go back yep. but when i did come back into music i was really really digging onto that proto metal scene and a writer named sleaze grinder did an article in classic rock magazine on proto metal and the progenitors of metal bands like sir lord baltimore and bang and you know all these bands Uh and one of them was jpt scare band so i wrote a review on a jpt scare band album put it out into the ether and within about a day or two i got contacted by the drummer and he liked the review he and i started talking we became friends and within about you know six months a package arrived on my desk with 10 unreleased master cds of just all this jpt scare band music Uh and i go And it was awesome. If if you've ever heard JPT Scare Band, they were way ahead of their time. They're a three-piece, never put out an album in their day, really never even played much in the way of gigs. They had a basement in Kansas City where they would plug in and they'd have friends come down to their basement and they would all do whatever psychedelics that were available in the room at the time. And they Mm -hmm. would just play this really, really heavy acid blues, distorted, down-tuned proto-metal. Uh, yep. The name JPT Scareband is their JPT or their first names, initials, and then Scareband because they played scary fucking music. That's that's how the name came out. Yep. And so I got all these CDs and I said, dude, I can't, what do you want me to do with this? The music's great. I can't review this. It's not out there. So what's the point? And he said, quite simply, I don't want you to review it. I want you to put it out. That's all
0: <laughs> Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, you know, what do those, what do those words mean? You know, somebody says that to you. It's like, what do you even? What do you mean? I put out what? I don't even know. How to put out anything? I don't even know how to put out a fire in my kitchen. What are you talking about? That's <laughs> and so um, I was just thinking about it and playing things in my head, and I I did a little bit of research on the music industry. You, know, you have to think back at the times. You, know, you guys are really up up to date with what's going on. This was two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand nine was probably the absolute nadir of the music industry. It was the Sky is falling, the world is black. Oh my God, what the hell are we gonna do? Because there was no vinyl sales yet. Vinyl was very niche just for DJs and clubs. CD sales had been gutted because it was the onset of Napter and the torrent services and all the stealing of music. And it was before there was any monetization of digital music, it was before iTunes. Uh, So it was the black hole of the music industry. So I decided that'd be a great time to start a record label. (laughs) <laughs> and oh, so
0: everything's falling apart you know what let's start a record
1: label <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and I say that you know mildly facetiously a lot of it was complete ignorance and obliviousness because I just I'm kind of that way I'm going to do what I want to do and mm-hmm. I'm going to make it happen no matter what the situation is around me yep. but the flip side to this whole thing was as the model was falling apart I no longer had to follow the model
0: mm-hmm
1: and it created an opportunity. Everything in this world's an opportunity. A situation is a situation. How you work with that situation will determine how you're going to do. Yep. So to me, it became an opportunity to throw away the old model. And like I said, I'd been researching it because I had to learn what's a master? How's mm-hmm. a master different than a final mix? How do you make a plate? What is a plate? You know, I didn't know any of this stuff. You know, I'm, a, I'm an eye surgeon. You know, they don't uh-huh. teach us that in medical school. Yep. <laughs> um, so you, that's not I, part
0: I, of your rounds i mean
1: it, it is now yeah you, i see a couple <laughs> of patients stop by a vinyl pressing plant do a little surgery <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: people come pick up your their glasses and a vinyl at the same time
1: <laughs> it, it's it's a beautiful synergistic model really it truly is <laughs> that's awesome um, so to me it became an opportunity to do things totally differently so if you think back our first record came out in 2010 which was well before the vinyl resurgence. Um, and our very first release was a double LP, JPT Scare Band, Acid Blues is the White Man's Burden. Like I said, double LP, gatefold, two-tone psychedelic vinyl. Fuck what's going on in the world, I'm putting this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did. And uh, it sold out and it's it, you know, it launched us on our way. So that's how the label started. I never went into this with goals of starting a label. I had a band that I loved, send me stuff and tell me to do it. And I did it.
2: I, I want to follow up before Corey does, just out of the curiosity, what was the actual cost that you had to put into starting the label then if if you were doing all that?
1: Well, in truth, startup costs were quite a bit. And again, part of it has to do with what with, with the timing was. Yeah. Um yeah, you need contracts. yep right? You have to have artist agreements. Yep. And um so I worked through a friend of mine. To get to a music attorney to get artist agreements and in 2009 the concept of what i wanted to do with a label didn't really exist yet and what i mean by that is i wanted to create a label which you would definitely say is a true artist friendly label a complete 50 50 split between the bands and the label where the label carries most of the brunt of the costs and the bands get most of the reward for their music yeah and part of that meant that i was never going to own a band's music i didn't want to own their masters i didn't want to take their copyrights because Mm. lord knows that's their creation it's their baby they've worked their ass off to it you turn it over to a record company you know i I just keep thinking about taylor swift right now and when she was a young girl and she had signed this agreement with scooter Braun. you know she right now as a, as a young woman is fighting tooth and nail to get back control of her own music. And it's it's become so ugly, as you probably know, that mm-hmm. in order to control some of her own masters, she wants to re-record her songs. And as I understand it, they won't even give her permission for mechanical license to record her own music right now. That's great. Right, and, and that's that's the old model. That's the way the industry has been. And the, the reason is, is because it creates tremendous value for the labels. Mm-hmm. Well let's face it, I have a day job. I wasn't going to do this as my living. In fact, I've had the luxury with Ripple of every decision I've made, I've never actually had to make money at of it. Yeah. And that frees you up to try a lot of things that a lot of people perhaps might not try. Um, now, that's not to say I, I love pumping money into the label, yeah. Yeah, I just but I, I just want the label to carry its own costs. So initial costs for starting up the label were probably you know 40k 40 Uh, okay but but again a lot of this had to do with the timing and i i went back and forth with this lawyer forever you know trying to get these contracts right um first bill was like you know 10 or 12k because this was like a real music industry lawyer yeah you know so it it wound up probably costing you know sub 20k incorporation all legal fees oh you did the whole thing okay And then getting contracts still from this music lawyer that I couldn't use. I mean, literally, first contract, I would own everything in perpetuity. So, dude, this isn't what I want, yada, yada, yada. Give me this. Okay, little refinement. I still own everything in perpetuity. And so finally, after at least two or three revisions of which you're paying every time, I I just said, you know what? Fuck you. I'm smarter than you are. I'm going to write my own contracts. And... (laughs) From that day on, I learned how to, I, I've learned a lot of law and I've, I've learned how to write all my own contracts, all my own agreements ever since then. Mm-hmm. So, so, cause then I could do what I wanted, which was to create, like I said, this artist-friendly 50-50 sort of a label. And then you had other startup costs. I mean, besides manufacturing costs, website at the time, and that was a disaster, You know, just bad choices and choosing web designers and kind of dealing with that. So yeah, initial costs were quite a bit. Um, and I paid for it all, initially, by selling off my comic book collection. Ooh. Oh, brutal. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
0: That's, about, that's about as metal as you can get right there, selling <laughs> off your comics for the music.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, and I had a lot of original art and stuff, Like, but wow. just like, hey, Ripple needs music, take X-Men number one, sell it, you get 12K for that, boom, the, the record label's funded for a little while, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah that's, but, that's commitment. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the way I the way I looked at it is that like this wall over here used to have a comic book original art on it, which I loved and I appreciated, but I didn't create it. Mm -hmm. So I took it down and now I've replaced it with ripple music concert posters and framed albums that I've had at least some role in creating. So instead of something I appreciate it's now something I'm creating. That's amazing. Mm
0: And it definitely probably makes you appreciate everything even more knowing the, well, the sacrifices that you had to make to get everything the way that it is now.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, but it's not a sacrifice, man. I <laughs> fucking love what I do. Uh, it yeah. was a was pad. Yeah, it was, it was, it was equity, equity I had lying around. And, you yeah. know, I kept some of my nice pieces. I didn't get rid of everything, but I got rid of about 90% of the collection. But it freed up more space to buy records. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which... Awesome. Uh, is a, yeah, that, that is a space suck for sure. I'm I'm in the same, I have the same problem. We'll just put it that way. I have the same addiction. So <laughs> I get that it can take up a lot of space.
1: And there's uh, no cure for that addiction.
0: No, it just gets worse. It seriously, every splatter vinyl. I'm like, I need this. I don't even know what this sounds like, but I need it.
1: You need it. And, and the truth is you actually do because if you don't buy it, you'll be thinking about it forever. It will haunt me. It will haunt you in your dreams.
0: Exactly, there was one that I bought that there were only two left. It wasn't a splatter, it was an etched one. And I'm like, if if I don't buy this, I will regret it for the rest of my life. So I don't care that it's $70 to have it shipped to me, whatever.
1: Right, you're gonna love this. You're you're totally gonna love this. This is not a joke. I had a dream once, a strange (laughs) dream. The dream was I was back in my old high school and I was walking down the stairs to the building where my locker was. And so there's a whole, imagine a whole bank of high school lockers. And Mm -hmm. I was very early in the morning because you and I are such early wakers. I -hmm. was very early in the morning and I'm walking down to my locker and taped onto each locker was an original rare proto-metal album. And all I had to do was walk by and just pull them all off the lockers and put them into my, is that sick?
0: (laughs) That that, that sounds like a fantastic dream to me. For me, it would be like, like the nightmare would be it's all those albums that I didn't buy and I can't get them off of the lockers it just, you're uh,
2: tugging you're tugging it <laughs> just
0: oh god that would be horrible
2: vinyl, um, buy. I don't want to turn into that but anyways
0: you're going to turn into that you you spend enough time with me you're gonna get to this level it's gonna be bad
2: level Todd's gonna be really 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 fucking rich so I'm I, I'm going I'm going to refrain from buying vinyl but anyway
0: <laughs> oh but switching gears just a little bit, um, with the whole vinyl thing, there is a massive social media community that comes with all of it. And I mean, I know you have the Wave Riders group. I'm part of it. And uh, you guys have your own social media accounts. And can you just talk a bit how you keep everyone engaged and kind of the the this very, I don't know, engaged community that comes with being so heavily involved in vinyl? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely, as, as you know, vinyl collectors, is, as a subgroup, mm-hmm. love nothing more than to talk about and share their vinyl records. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's half the joy. I mean, finding mm-hmm. like yeah. some you know, really rare 1973 psychedelic record for 80 bucks is one thing, but finding it in a dollar bin is another oh. thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I found and, and,
0: a copy uh, of Kiss's Destroyer album for like three bucks at Goodwill. I was so happy. <laughs>
1: score, score, um, mm-hmm. and, and but part of that happiness of finding it is then sharing it. And say, look, mm-hmm. I got this for three bucks, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a very large engaged vinyl community, um, and I do participate in all that because I got a lot of records and I love sharing stuff. It's kind of like the idea of the original ripple effect: you're sharing the music and trying to get people to pay attention to to things they might want as well. Now, mm-hmm. Wave Riders is slightly different because Wave Riders wasn't; it's not a vinyl group. Mm-hmm. Wave Writers, I started just as a group for people who are interested in Ripple music to talk about all things related to music, not just Ripple. Ripple is, and Ripple to me, of course, is, is a huge part of my life and it's a big thing, but in, in the world of music, in the world of people's lives, I mean, Ripple is this, this tiny little you know, little speck. So you get people in who have this common interest in Ripple and what we're doing, um, and that's fantastic, because there's really a lot of love and support for this concept of what we're doing with Ripple. But then the, open it up mm-hmm. so people can talk about all other sorts of things. You know, the, the Ripple might be the way they came together, but there's lots of great labels in the underground. There's, there's lots of great bands. You guys know that. You work with a lot mm-hmm. of them. And the scene itself, and by now I'm not talking to vinyl collectors. I'm talking the music scene, the mm-hmm. underground scene that, that you guys service that Ripple is a part of, the stoner doom heavy psych scene. It everything that we do with each other to bolster the strength of that scene makes everybody within the scene stronger. And the entire concept is to get the music heard. I mean, nobody, most of the bands you're working with, nobody's making a lot of money at this. This isn't, people aren't in this for the money. I mm-hmm. think that most of the bands who are jumping in are, don't have these ideas that they're going to be up on stage in front of 80,000 people at a festival in, in Brazil. Yep. Some might, which is awesome, and, and always hold on to the dream. But a lot of these people actually are married, and they have day jobs, and they have kids, and that's not their goal. It's, it's a fantasy in their mind, but yep. they get that same thrill playing in front of 100 people in a local club, and they're doing it because they love it. But the whole scene needs to get heard. Because that band that's playing in front of 100 people might be making some of the best music that, that's come out in ages. And people outside in the mainstream who don't have awareness of what's going on will never hear about it. So what we need to do is get the whole scene to completely continue to lift itself up so that it can permeate to a larger spectrum of the mainstream, if I can use that, Even if it's mainstream heavy rock or mainstream you know, heavy metal audience, just so the music can get heard. And then perhaps you know, that band could get picked up by somebody who was on tour and, and they have a chance to play in front of 4,000 or 5,000 people and and get, you know, their dreams realized to some extent, but more importantly, get the music to be heard because that's, that's what their legacy is going to be is, is their music.
2: So we only got about 15 minutes left. So we've got to go through the next three as quickly as we possibly can. You're really saying I talk too much. Go ahead, say No, what, no, no. What, I'm saying, well, no what I'm saying, Todd, is giving a ton of you're giving a ton of knowledge firecrackers um (laughs) knowledge poppers poppers. knowledge poppers but i just realized it's our we only have like 15 minutes left so we got to get through these next three because i really want to know about them which is number one sales so you guys do pretty well with your sales of your records correct yes okay so what do you guys do that makes it so that way you guys can sell your product but most labels can't if that makes sense well
1: yeah that's a loaded question some of this will go back to Corey's question about wave riders and and social media in general which i avoided the whole goal of social media is it's an opportunity that bands never had in the past to interact with their Mm. fans in the 70s when i was growing up Corey, when the kiss record came out sure i was a member of the kiss army but to understand and interact with KISS, it was impossible. I had to read about Yeah, you them weren't going to
0: talk to Gene Simmons.
1: <laughs> no, probably still no. aren't. But, um, no,
0: probably still aren't. But, <laughs> but,
1: but there wasn't even the opportunity. You could write to a fan club kind of at the best. Right now, bands and labels have that opportunity, and it's sitting right in front of them every day, and it's social media. And most, if I can say this, most bands and labels don't necessarily know how to use it properly. Their goal is constantly focused on selling, buy this, buy this, I got this, here's my record, buy this, yada, yada. People pop onto social media for entertainment and information. They don't pop on to be sold to. They will buy because they're engaged and they're interested in what's happening. And so we have this forum and that's what Wave Riders became to me as a forum to interact with fans, engage them, see that there's something behind this label. We're not just this big black box record label like Capitol Records was back in the day and a record shaped building. I'm a dude in my home office doing yep. what i love and i want to share what i love with people so if there is something perhaps that i do differently than other labels is the way i engage fans mm-hmm. you know you, you talked about the the question of the day that i do at ripple i'm mean at wavewriters that simply was a way that i could constantly be engaging fans and it became fun it became challenging because i gotta go up with a new question every day but yep. it, it it became something which became really engaging and you see the fans talking about music now I just think that overall engagement keeps people interested in what's happening with the label. And the other half of that question has to be that, you know, we put out kick ass music. <laughs> of
2: course. Of course. Corey, do you want to ask a question on that before I go on the next one?
0: I did not have a follow up on that one, but I did just wanna say that to emphasize that creating that emotional engagement, that emotional investment with the fans is an unbelievably powerful tool that more bands really should take advantage of. Um, I've seen it, like some of the most successful bands that I know personally have no label. They, they don't have anybody but, but them really doing anything. And it's because they're so well connected with their fans, they don't need it anymore. They've yep. just built this army that supports them. Bloody Wood is probably the prime example of that.
1: Right. Yep. Or, or I would say, um, All Them Witches, another mm-hmm. example, band that's yeah. been on their own. And there's so much a band can do, and, and they just need to, the whole concept of, of, the, lab, the, concept of the record label industry collapsing, opened mm-hmm. opportunities. It wasn't a down, it was an up. A yep. band now has the ability to engage in a way that you never could have in the past. I keep telling bands, turn on the camera in your rehearsal space, start playing some riffs, ask the fans, do you like this riff? What do you think of this one? How do you, what do you, you, know, which of these riffs do you like better? And you don't even have to take their advice, but get them interested in it. And you might find that they open up your mind to something you had not thought of before. And they're okay. going to take ownership then in that song. And you bet they're going to be interested when the final version of it comes out. You got to get people to be engaged, like you said, emotionally, and it's it's a deep from the heart they want to have ownership in you
2: as a band they want to be a part of it Mm -hmm. I thought so what actually I do have a follow-up on that now that I think of it which is have you ever signed a band that won't use social media and then it ended up bombing on you yes okay well so how do you kind of kind of figure out who's going to be doing that and who's not you you try to do the research in advance of course you know uh, Social media follows is a very
1: important thing in the re- way I sign bands. People always ask, how do you choose the bands that you choose? And it's of course, multifactorial. Baseline, of course, music's got to be kick-ass. Yep. But beyond that, you need to see that it's a hardworking band because a label in this day and age can't really make a band. They could in the 70s. AM radio promotion could bust a band open. You know, when FM became a big thing, you could still bust a band open just by hardcore advertising and promotion through radio. We don't have AM radio anymore. There's no longer a single vehicle channel by which people get their entertainment or their music. It's a billion podcasts, a billion shows, terrestrial radio, internet radio. It's all over the place. So you can't just say, hey, if I can break it on WKRP, this band's going to be huge. It just doesn't happen like
2: that anymore. You like that reference? <laughs> I, yeah, I, got, I got it. Did you get it, Corey? Corey be <laughs> I'll talk later.
1: Um, so you need the band to be a hardworking band. And that's something that if anybody's listening, that the bands really should pay attention to. I do look at their social media following. I want to see how many numbers they have. If the band's been out for five years and they have 300 followers on Facebook, they're not doing it right. There's something wrong there. If they have you know 9,000 followers, okay, wow, that's something impressive. But that doesn't mean anything. For all I know, they bought the nine thousand followers. So then I need to see how they're engaging with their fans. How often are they posting? Daily posting? I want to see it, or or at least very frequent posting. And just as importantly, what they're posting, and what the fan response is to their posting. If a fan's got nine thousand, if a band's got nine thousand fans, and they post, and three people like it, again it means the means are not those are bought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. So all of the social medias. Now, I don't do TikTok, but you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter are my main formats. And I, I like to see how the bands are interacting. And you will see bands that, you know, otherwise you might think of could be smaller bands have tremendous social media following, tremendous interaction, and they're gonna do something that way. And then you also, of course, wanna see how they're, they're playing out, getting out to play shows. You just want them
2: to be a hardworking band.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Definitely. And did Curtis, did you have another follow up?
2: No, I was waiting for you to see if you did before we went on to the next one.
0: Nope, we can go on to the next one.
2: Let's talk about it then, you go ahead.
0: Which is, um, <laughs> we, we touched on this a little bit before we got on the call, but PR red flags or industry professional red flags as a whole in, in your you know long career working in music, what are some red flags that bands should look out for in you know modern day when they're working with either PR professionals, management, or really any of the industry people, because well, we've know, heard some serious horror stories.
1: <laughs> the the biggest problem that, that you always get when you're working with outside sources is whether or not people are ever going to deliver what they promise.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: you know, bands need to do research on that as well. And it goes beyond looking at the references that a PR company or such might be putting on their page. And yep. you really have to be responsible for your money. You need to contact other bands that that PR firms work with and see how they're doing. So typically what I would say is, you know, if, if you see that there's a band getting really good PR researcher, find out who's working with them, see the sort of sites that they're getting coverage on, the sort of magazine sources that they're getting coverage on, because a lot of people will promise the world and then not deliver at all. Mm-hmm. I see this a lot with certain things like, you know, pay $100 to get onto our cover mount CD. Yep. Lots of bands will pay the money. They love it, but it doesn't mean that that's got any reach. It doesn't mean that that's going to ever be heard. And so it's just a waste of money. Mm -hmm. Um, it just requires a lot of research and a lot of thought into who you're interacting with and making sure that this is a company that can actually deliver. That's the biggest red flag I see is people who over promise and under deliver. Yep.
2: Um, can you go over maybe a couple more things? Because I mean, yeah, there's the overpromise, but how can you actually tell if someone's legit? Because there's a lot of people that will say they worked with such and such a band or such and such, such, and such a label, but they can't do it on their own, if you get what I mean. Um,
1: that's a tough question. <laughs> you probably have better, better insight of that work than I do. Um, you know, when I'm thinking about it, I'm going to go to whoever it is they said they worked with and I'm going to ask them directly what their experience was like. It's Fair. just a matter of tracking down their sources. Yeah. Um, and again, seeing what sort of coverage they were able to get with that. But I understand what you're saying. You could have worked with the label and then you branch out on your own. And yep. it doesn't mean that you still have that reach. Exactly. Um, I'm sure you've seen incidences of that. All, all the time, all the time. So what, what do you tell people on how they should look into that?
2: Oh, you're going to ask me, Todd. Okay, well, what I would do Well, what I would do is I would ask for results from clients that aren't necessarily big names. Because what I see will happen is a band will start working with a PR or like even a manager that's had big names, big labels that they've worked with. But the thing is, is that they can't break a newer band. So you want to ask newer bands that they've worked with, not just the big ones. Because when you got a big band, everyone's coming to you. When you got a small band, you're going to them. And if you can't fucking sell that small band, doesn't work like I mean like when I work with for example Lindsay Schoolcraft people come to me I still have to do the work but I mean I got people coming to me if I'm working with a new band I got to go to them like we had to go with Kiaville we had to go to people and they didn't come to us so it's a big difference so and I mean of course every time you're not going to always hit a home run either sometimes your campaign sucked. but no matter what you do but you have to go in my opinion you have to ask both the both the more of the smaller clients than the big ones that's my own opinion
1: and, you know my approach to PR though I mean you had just said sometimes that the campaign sucks that's yep. actually that can happen a PR can yep. totally underdeliver. how people write a press release is is so crucial I get so many press releases that that avoid the entire point of why I actually want to hear this record mm-hmm. you know like right now there's so many political hot topics that so many people will start with something which is a totally PC way to, yep. to and it's like yeah, but that's not why I want to hear the music you know exactly. they're that's not my goal. What's it like? Um, But I agree with you. So many people can benefit from the fact that they had, you know, metal blade behind them. Yep. I will always look at people's PR, the press releases themselves and see how they're actually writing it. But you said sometimes the press campaign sucks and it can, but oftentimes, and I would tell this to anybody and you guys know this better than I do. You can have an awesome PR campaign. And it doesn't mean that that record is actually going to pick up any traction because you guys do your job of providing the attention. The magazines, the blogs, the, the media have their own ideas of what they're going to cover. Yep. And it, it, you can't guarantee coverage on anything.
2: Not a thing, I always say that. I can't guarantee right. a god thing, but I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's what any
1: good PR company could do. And they should all say that. So yep. I don't always think of a PR campaign as sucking if yep. it didn't get the traction. Yeah. um it just maybe that that band wasn't going to be ready for the zeitgeist of those sources at that time yeah. so I, I would just redo it i would just revise things think about how i can do it maybe the next record yeah. will sell better
2: yeah well that's the way i look at it too right but i mean like like you said what well, just the last thing that i want to touch on this is that sometimes it is also a preparation for the next campaign like i've had bands suck and press for the first time but then the second time you do it next year takes off Mm-hmm.
1: And that was one of the things about Ripple when I started it. Is that yeah. since I'm not sales driven necessarily, yeah. I want to be a label that helps bands to develop. That's so exactly. if the first record doesn't sell, it's okay. I'm not good. If I love the band, if I believe in the music, great. We got the name out there to whatever extent. Now let's work on the next record. And as exactly. that next record maybe builds momentum with good PR and with everything right. that goes around the release, maybe that first record will come back and get attention. And what I've seen is, that it does happen. The second record, all of a sudden, the first record will sell out when it was sitting there before. And it's just a matter of helping to develop the bands.
2: Yeah, 100%. I think we're running out of time. Corey, do you have any follow-up questions for Todd?
0: I just have one last question. What is your current favorite vinyl that you have right now?
2: Ooh. (laughs)
1: Uh, I my current favorite vinyl and i just picked it up is uh there was a band post-punk band in the 80s called teardrop explodes mm-hmm. it was Ju- julian cope's band uh after he and ian mccullough who went on to echo in the Bunnymen, after they split he did teardrop explodes and i adore them and i just picked up an original
2: test press nice <laughs> awesome
0: curtis did you have a follow-up
2: I don't, we're, we're, we're getting really low on time. So we should okay,
0: probably wrap it up.
2: Fine. <laughs> I, I would like to, well, we're gonna have to have Todd back again because there was a bunch of stuff we didn't get to cover. So I'll hit you up afterwards and we'll figure out a new date if you're willing. And I'll stick to the questions next time. <laughs> well, no, great job. No, you stuck
0: the- to the questions. There's just a lot of info in your mind. <laughs> yeah, and yeah,
2: there's so much stuff we can still ask you is the problem. And I probably did too many questions for you. Um, <laughs> but yes, we will do a part ta- two with Todd at some point. So I guess, That's it. Party on, Corey.
0: Party on, Curtis. Party on, Todd.
1: Nice. Thanks, guys. Have me on anytime you want. Do it again. All right.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your platform of choice. You can also join the conversation by following us on any social media and suggesting guests or topics you'd like to learn more about. Thanks for listening to C Squared.